0: To this edition of the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. On today's episode, we talk with the team at Ibex Mercado in Guatemala and Greg Foss. In this discussion, we get into the inner workings of Ibex's role in implementing Bitcoin adoption in El Salvador. We grade the performance and the implications of wider adoption in the region. We get a hint at the next country that will plan to adopt Bitcoin. Greg Foss provides his brilliant analysis to this first effort into Bitcoin adoption. Greg also offers some spectacular insights on his investment philosophy and makes a surprise announcement. We discuss when Bitcoin will be mind in guatemala and we discuss implementation of bitcoin lake in Panajachel, guatemala this is a great discussion now a little bit about our sponsors jeter melder llp is more than a law firm it is a legal team justin and michael have over 30 years of experience working with different clients on different legal issues from different sides of the docket in areas such as business disputes, constitutional rights, employment agreements, employment discrimination, local counsel, and pay issues. Jeter-Melder have advocated in federal and state courts in Arkansas, California, Illinois, New Mexico, and Texas. With a unique blend of clients from doctors, fellow attorneys, tradesmen, hourly workers, and the unemployed to small businesses and Fortune 500 companies, They all have one thing in common. They believe in Jeter Melder and Jeter Melder believes in them. Give them a call at 214-699-4758 or visit them at JeterMelder.com. That's J-E-T-E-R-M-E-L-D-E-R.com. Hey, in case you haven't heard, I've developed a study guide called Bitcoin for churches. It's a practical study guide to understanding our corrupt financial system How Bitcoin Fixes It, and Why the Church Should Care. I will be doing a live stream with City Light Church in New York City on October 8th from 6 to 8 p.m. This is a free event. Please go to CityLightNYC.com to register for this free event. I'm so excited. I hope you join us. Thank you. Hey guys, uh, thanks so much for joining me on the show. I'm I'm super excited to talk with uh, each one of you, Mario and Jose from IBEX and Greg Foss. Uh, it's uh, a pleasure and I'm honored that you took the time uh, to take, uh, take this time to talk to me. Uh, for the audience, uh, Mario and Jose, uh, can you guys kind of describe uh, who you are, who IBEX is and We'll do brief introductions. After that, maybe Greg. uh, Our audience is very familiar with Greg, um, but Greg, if you could go ahead and do a quick intro as well.
1: Absolutely, Patrick. I'll go first. So I am Jose Lemus. I am the CEO of IBEX Mercado. Uh, IBEX Mercado was established three years ago. um, No, four years ago now, two thousand seventeen. Well. Created as a concept, uh, the company was formally incorporated in 2018. And um, what we specialized and uh, our mission when we started was helping Bitcoin's chances of success improve. And uh, and that's what we've uh, tried to do so far. The first point of attack was access. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but sometimes in third world countries. We don't have the same luxuries as you guys do up in the U.S. and Canada. So I got introduced uh, to Bitcoin in 2012 via Google search and um, couldn't get into it really until I could purchase it in 2017 because I was living mm. abroad. Um, uh, my country, Guatemala, has been in the banking blacklist for a long time or used mm. to be at least. And so... I thought Bitcoin is too important a technology to not have access to it, especially for our countries. I like to say that in the first world, Bitcoin is a luxury. In the third world, it's a necessity.
0: Mm. Wow, well said.
1: Okay, Mario, if you want, you can do your intro.
2: Yeah, so uh, it's great to see you again, Patrick. Uh, I'm... I'm Guatemalan. I'm I'm an economist by by uh, by what I learned in my university. I come from a university that teaches Austrian economics, which is kind of weird because they don't adopt Bitcoin as much as they should. Uh, but I agree with, with Jose. I've been trying. I've been trying to get into Bitcoin for a while. Started a a, a Bitcoin event with my best friend in 2015, and kind of. Uh, watched how other companies in Guatemala started growing and one of them was IBEX and I was lucky enough to to be invited to participate in IBEX uh, relatively recently. So right now we're just pushing to to get people to use Bitcoin in the easiest way possible and uh, we want we want the mission of Bitcoin adoption in the world to be successful. So what we're doing is we're building tools for that to happen. And I'm really excited. This is the company where I where I was reading something like this earlier in the morning where where Monday isn't isn't scary anymore. <laughs> you mm. want it to be Monday. So you want to work for this and you want to build this mission. And I'm I'm really glad to be here. And thank you for inviting me again, Patrick. Mm, my pleasure. And Juan.
3: Hi, guys. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Uh, So I'll tell you a bit about my background. I lived in Mexico for a long time. I got married to a Mexican woman. And after we had our first kid, we decided to settle in Mexico. We were living in Guatemala when we got married and when we had our first daughter. And we decided to go to Mexico because Guatemala was... uh, to there was a high index of violence and specifically of low level robbery and very violent crimes to take away small things uh, cell phones purses and it was very distributed and in mexico i ran a couple of uh, small restaurants we owned a couple of small restaurants and the idea was to save up to set up more restaurants and I was never able to save up and I didn't really know why. And I was really, really frustrated. And I probably have the best big brother in the world, Jose, because he called me up and I thought, I can't take it anymore. I'm so frustrated with this. And he told me, man, we gotta look into Bitcoin again. It's time that we buy some. And that's how our journey got started.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, Full disclosure, I I married a Mexican woman too. So my wife is uh, uh, Mexican. I grew up in Texas. So we have that in common.
3: My condolences.
0: (laughs) See me, amigo.
4: (laughs) And Greg well hi guys uh it's great to be here patrick it's nice to meet you um and i applaud uh the efforts you're you're making to uh introduce these fine young men from uh south america or central america to the world um i can honestly tell you when i first met the boys in uh miami this uh at the beginning of this summer uh carlinos uh seek me out on Twitter. And I was happy to meet these guys. Um, I'm just so proud to be part of a group that, uh, you know, I can't say part of a group. I'm, I'm rooting for you guys from Canada. I have absolutely uh, committed to doing anything I can to help uh, the success. And it's, uh, it's, it's given me a second, second life, second wind um because i'm going to i'm going to uh, use that uh, saying uh jose that uh, btc is a luxury in the first world but it's a necessity mm. in the third world and i think us privileged people in north america overlook the true um uh, use cases of bitcoin and uh, how it can honestly change people's lives i i need it for my children in canada because of our irresponsible uh political uh machine but the reality is um you know we can we don't need it right now uh to survive whereas other countries uh like lebanon and uh venezuela and hopefully few countries but the reality is crises hit very quickly. So I applaud what you guys are doing. Um, I uh, have been um, privy to some updates from the team at Ibex Mercado. I can just tell you that uh, I'm very excited for them to share their, uh, their story and their progress. And uh, finally, I just want um, to say uh, to Patrick, uh I think, are you from Marietta, Georgia? Is that, uh, yes. is that you? Okay. Yes. So yeah, one of my best friends from, uh, uh, Cornell university in uh, New York, uh, married a young lady from Athens, Georgia, and okay. uh, the, the wedding was down in Athens, Georgia, which, uh, is the home of the university of Georgia. Yeah. And I, uh, what a beautiful state that is. Um, I was the first Canadian that a few of those people had ever met. And uh, that was quite, quite a, quite a <laughs> fun experience there too. But uh, this is what the Bitcoin community does, is it brings together people with uh, similar... Um, desires to positively impact the world and man, do we ever have to break through some walls eh? and break through some old line uh, 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 statements and statists. Uh, this is unbelievable. Some of the people we are uh, fighting that are so disingenuous. And I, when I say fighting, I mean it, you know, that's not violent fighting. It's uh, intellectually uh, battling. And, uh, look, um, this is not a drill people. This is very, very serious. Uh, and it's happening more quickly than you, uh, than you can imagine. So, uh, I'll borrow a line from uh, one of my favorite uh, Canadians at a gentleman by the name of Jeff Booth, um, who, uh, has a great line. He goes, you never know which snowflake starts the avalanche. Okay, And I know it's a little bit from a Canadian perspective of snow and avalanche, but the truth is you don't. And you need to prepare. You need to prepare prepare for your children. And uh, you don't want to be looking for avalanche protection when the avalanche is happening. You actually need to uh, uh, fortify your uh, uh, your surroundings and purchase your insurance against avalanches uh, in the here and now. So that's my 30 years of experience in the uh, risk management and financial trading markets. You have to prepare for the uncertain. The only certainty I know with 100% likelihood is that fiat currencies will debase. That is a mathematical certainty. Everything else is a game of probabilities. And I just want to encourage your listeners to understand that uh, I believe Bitcoin to be the best asymmetric return opportunity I've ever seen in my uh, 30 over 30 years of trading financial risk. It's not because I'm certain of it, It's just because I'm certain that you need hedges against the inevitable avalanches that are going to come in the financial system. So happy to be here. And I look forward to a great discussion.
0: Awesome. Very well said, Greg. Uh, For the for the team, for IBEX, let's um, let's talk about kind of your role and intimate work with getting El Salvador to where they are today. Um, I'm sure that from now, uh, from the 6th of September until now, it's probably been very, very crazy for you guys. But if you could just kind of describe um, how you got involved, what work you were doing um, to get them to where they are, and then um, we'll segue into a discussion on, you know, what milestones were met or, you know, any major issues and just kind of get a progress report. But let's kind of start at the beginning and figure out where you guys, how you got involved and how you helped.
1: Okay, Patrick. Well, uh, first of all, um, after the euphoria of the Jack Mallers announcement, or rather naive Bukele's announcement on the Bitcoin conference in Miami, uh, we, after that died down, and, and we kind of looked back at it, at it uh, we quickly identified that there's a big issue with Bitcoin still. I think it's getting resolved. But at that point in time, it was a huge issue. And the huge issue is that there's not really uh, a lot of uh, uh, company or enterprise level solutions to handle Bitcoin. Now, this is important because Bitcoin in 2021, it's uh, very easy for the individual, right? You have a bunch of different wallets. You have Lightning. You have non-custodial, you have custodial, you have all of this uh, infrastructure set up for the retail, let's say the individual. But there's not really any solution for for companies or enterprise grade level solutions. And the problem there is that that was fine when Bitcoin was upped in Like any solution that existed at that time at the enterprise level was basically because you were a Bitcoin company and you needed to develop your own solution. So everything was DIY. And when I mean solution, I'm talking about not only receiving, but custody, how you're gonna keep it safe, who's gonna have access to it, how are you gonna manage that access, all of that stuff. There's no out of the box. Um, and so what we quickly realized is, this is experiment is really gonna fail if merchants are available, if they are not uh, going to be able to receive Bitcoin because, you know, it's just a technical issue, so we got uh, pretty hard at work with developing a merchant solution. Or we we believe that uh, retailers were the first that were going to be hit with this necessity. Um, B2B was not going to be really an issue, at least not right now. You're, you're not going to pay your suppliers with Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, we we went down there. We started meeting with uh, potential retailers, uh, worldwide brands, which Mario can let you know a little bit more about that in the future um, when he goes. But That's that's the thesis. We got to onboard businesses. In fact, if we don't do a good job onboarding businesses, um, it's just going to be a little playground at the individual level, right? You need businesses to get comfortable with Bitcoin. You need them to get comfortable with accepting Bitcoin. And then in the future, you need to get them comfortable with, you know, um, keeping company keeping Bitcoins in their company's reserves. And so right now our solution, it's a merchant payment terminal. We also have an e-commerce version and we offer instant USD convertibility because all of these companies, what they want is they don't want to have any volatility risk. So you need to de-risk them first. And that's what we do. And then we offer some other products to them for, for de-risking their operations if they want to keep uh, Bitcoin in their treasury. So we give them access to futures markets. We give them access to the options market. So you can comfortably keep Bitcoin in your balance sheet and not take on so much risk.
0: Jose, so I don't want to throw anybody or any company under the bus, but, you know, after the Jack Mahler's announcement, I mean, was what was strikes presence or what was there? What were they doing to kind of help with with all of this? I mean, he mentioned that Jack mentioned that, you know, he was making this playbook available to anybody who wanted it. Was that germane? Did that help you guys at all? Was there any support there?
1: I don't think so. Uh, Patrick. Honestly, uh, we can't say that we really reached out to them other than to open uh, lightning channels with them. Uh, Right now, we are in talks with um, Strike's team. Uh, In fact, I think uh, we have a meeting with them next week, uh, Mario, uh, with their Salvadorian team. Um, I think Jack, what Jack is doing is kind of like the macro, you know, of uh, you know getting things like Twitter on board, right? And that's hugely important because it's one thing to send remittances through the Lightning wallet, and then um, and then you have to download, go to an ATM uh that type of stuff but it's another thing if you can do it as easy as tipping somebody on twitter right mm-hmm. and so i think he's more focused on or rather strike and definitely jack they're they're more focused on on that type of play um bringing all of this awareness bringing uh this huge players that they have access to versus uh to you know visiting a donut shop in El Salon.
0: Okay. And, All right. So yeah.
1: And the cool thing there is that everything we do is added. Like what we do at Ibex helps Strike. And what they do at Strike helps us. Like for example, I don't know if you saw a video we posted online where, you know, Jack has sent the the light the Bitcoin to David in Starbucks, and then David paid with it in Starbucks, right? That doesn't happen if we don't both have both parts of the equation in sync. Sure,
0: sure. Sure. Great.
2: Mara, did you Uh, or? Yeah, I I wanted to add a little... um, I agree with Jose completely it's a it's additive it's a, because it's an open network then we can we can work together and and use each other's tools and and global reach I, I think what Jack is doing is phenomenal I also think what we're doing in in, uh, in El Salvador is, is pretty incredible um, we were we were looking for you know the the right kind of of, of uh, company to adopt our payment solution, and we started thinking, well, who's going to be the, the 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 best candidate to get this type of solution? And we started looking at restaurants, we started looking at uh, you no know, retailers and stuff like that, because what we thought was, well, if the government is going to give them thirty dollars, then people are going to they, they want to have the experience. They need to have the experience. So our like our one of our first lines of attack was going to these restaurant chains, and uh, we 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 fought to to uh, to get uh, a few contracts with really large American chains as well because we we thought well if we get uh, let's say Pizza Hut and Wendy's and you know KFC and Starbucks then we're we're also. Uh, having these brands pay attention and and think about it as a as a as a global play maybe just saying you know if el salvador can do it we can do it in china or we can do it in wherever wherever it's possible and it's we our solution is so simple and beautiful that it, it that uh, i think retailers like like these fast food chains they they love it and we're we're adapting it to other types of businesses I think uh, so we're looking into distribution companies we're looking into into doing let's say subscriptions and memberships and stuff like that and the lightning Network gives you all of this ability and uh, you know Juan's team uh, and and the development side of the lightning is is, is they're doing just an amazing job at, at, at building these other tools that are attracting more and more people um,
0: Customers.
2: One of the things that we really did have to do is we wanted to break the myths. So, you know, the myth that you couldn't use Bitcoin to pay for a coffee cup. I think we broke that myth in El Salvador, and it's beautiful to see.
0: Awesome. Uh, so it sounds like, and maybe Juan can speak to this a little bit more, but it definitely sounds like this is not a cookie cutter approach. I mean, it sounds like when you approach a retailer, each retailer has a different need that you've got to figure out what's their pain point with adoption and let's let's get that figured out.
3: This is correct. And we have to take it one step further. And Jose touched on this a little bit, Mario, as well, but we thought that making the Salvador experiment or the Salvador adoption, I don't think it's an experiment anymore. It's rather making adoption in Salvador be a good experience for people and for businesses is going to fast track Bitcoin adoption around the world. And we want to add our little grain of sun to the, or our little snowflake to this avalanche. Yeah, 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 (laughs) uh, Yeah. So we are looking not just to make the experience be acceptable. We want to make the experience of receiving payments and keeping Bitcoin be better than accepting payments in cash better than accepting payments with a payment network better than accepting credit cards And this is, I'm kind of a dreamer, so I'm looking at the end goal and I want to see a world where you can come, you're paying lightning, the lightning gets distributed to the different parts in real time. You can even have an automatic setup to send some of the Bitcoin, uh, stream the sats to your suppliers. This is the end game, right? But we're getting there in steps and make an experience so seamless and so good that when the... Merchant is looking at receiving payments, he is highly incentivized to do it in Bitcoin and he's highly incentivized to do promotions for his clients, do uh, cashbacks for his clients directly because it uh, reduces his overhead. So, okay, so that's what like we're a fo- looking to build, uh, and we do it with case by case.
0: OK, fantastic. So that sounds like a fold model or a block five model where you're giving rewards back. Uh, the merchant can give rewards back for using uh, Bitcoin or lightning at their at their establishment. Um, what to what extent is to what extent will there need to be an IBEX mercado in every country? Are you going to have to have a different model for every country that that does this? Or do you think at some point you're going to have a package that's pretty good to go that you can just kind of take from one country to the next?
1: I think eventually that's what we're moving towards, Patrick. Uh, you know, a lot of what we're gonna be doing in Los Angeles could be replicated in other countries. Um, much as Strike is doing, you know, a lot of what's gonna, the biggest hurdles are gonna be legal, right? Yeah, so yeah. okay. So just compliance and that type of stuff. Uh, the cool thing about working with merchants is that uh, Doing KYC and AML on merchants, although at the start is uh, more laborious, and it, it, it's easier, right? Especially depending on the type of merchant you're you're trying to, uh, you know, provide a service for, um, it gets easier because they're known brands, they're known companies. It's it, your risk of uh, of uh, you know having somebody. Uh, that's a criminal It's it's going to be mm-hmm. very low so uh, you, you, you de risk a lot of your operation so um, that I believe helps us in the long run uh, to bring our solution to other markets but it is a question of of you know having the right infrastructure and logistics to be able to do it
0: great Greg is from from someone from afar looking at you know the team and what they're doing As a risk manager, someone with a history of risk management and looking at what's going on with uh, China and and the global picture kind of put that in a rubric and uh, paint a picture for us, you know how important is what they're doing. uh, For what we're what we're seeing on the global stage, does that make sense.
4: Yeah, hundred percent. Great question. Um, first of all, I just got to say this: I'm so impressed by their uh, multilingual talents. Eh? Uh, these words you guys are you throw around easily, Juan and the Jose. It's uh, it's uh, truly my my hat goes off. I speak some French. My wife is French Canadian. Uh, Uh, I can't speak French nearly as well as you guys uh, converse in English. And I, you know, I wish I spoke more Spanish, but here's, here's what I know. Um, So I, despite spending uh, 30 odd years in the risk management business, financially managing money for other people uh, on behalf of uh, a hedge fund, for example, um, I uh, I'm also a bit of an entrepreneur. And 25 years ago, I invested in a pub in Montreal, an Irish pub that um, is now eight, okay? So we have eight uh, Irish pubs in Montreal. We have a decent business. It's uh, you know uh, over $15 million of sales. And uh, we pay merchant fees to Visa and MasterCard of about one and a half to 2%. Mm. So if you do 2% merchant fees on $15 million of sales, you get to some pretty big numbers. And um the reality is the restaurant business itself, uh Juan, I'll tell you, despite you wanting to get into it, it's 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 actually not a great business, okay? I think you made a much better decision to get into uh <laughs> into Bitcoin. Because our EBITDA margins, EBITDA for your listeners, stands for earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization. It's like your free pre-tax cash flow number. It's a very important metric in the in the uh restaurant business. And our our numbers are pretty healthy. We're like 15% EBITDA margin, but most of the uh, the restaurant business is below 10% EBITDA margin. Well, if Visa and Mastercard is taking two and a half, or say two percent out of a margin that's only 10% to begin with, meaning it could have been 12%, but it's now only 10% because Visa and MasterCard are taking their pound of flesh. That's substantial. That's 20% of your EBITDA margin goes to uh, merchant fees. And I talked to Jose about this the other day, and he goes, yeah, Greg. Well, you have no idea what it is in Central America. Mm. And Jose, forgive me if I get this wrong, but you mentioned that it's, you know, could be 5% or more, right? I mean, think of those numbers, you guys, that's just outrageous, outrageous. Uh, And and if you can, so I'm excited to try and bring a Bitcoin solution to Canada as well. Like we can't overlook the impacts that it'll have in the more developed nations rather than the uh, third world. And uh, this is, so let's talk about risk management. As a hedge fund guy, I had to have long and short positions and you try not to double up on your position, meaning I'm long something and I'm going to go and short the uh, the target. It's going to get hurt by the, uh, you know, the, the success of something. But here's what I do know. Western Union has got an antiquated business model that for all hedge fund managers out there, I would recommend they have Western Union as a core short in their hedge fund book, okay? And I don't want hate mail from Western Union. I'm just afraid you have a horse and buggy technology that has been rape and pillaging the population for too long. But then you expand it to other payment rails, payment processors like Visa and MasterCard, and they can either embrace Bitcoin, or they can fight it. And my recommendation, quite honestly, would be for them to actually think about embracing this thing. That in itself would advance the adoption globally to their benefit rather than them risk losing their uh, position as uh, dominant uh, payment uh, processors. So Risk management is very important. Uh, Again, you play probabilities, you you try and uh, anticipate future events, but some are just very simple to see. Um, And it leads to inefficiencies in the market. For example, Western Union has X percent of the S&P 500 index, just because that's how much weighting its market cap contributes in the total market cap of the S&P 500. The two largest holders, of Western Union are ETF guys, BlackRock and Vanguard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a problem in itself because those are passive investors that are just blindly buying the equity of a company because that's the weighting that it represents in the in the S and P five hundred index, and they need to replicate the performance of the S P five hundred index. The better managers are the active managers that say, I like 350 of the S and P 500 companies, but 150 of them are, you know, creative destruction is a, uh, is a reality in, in a non-manipulated world, i.e. without too much central bank, uh, uh, involvement. But here at the end of the day, you guys, uh, Bitcoin, being the best asymmetric upside trade I've ever seen, you can translate that back into a lot of things you shouldn't have exposure to. Uh, if you do, maybe you're just a passive index manager that hasn't thought too much about the the damage you're doing by investing in this company just because it uh, uh, represents a certain amount of the weighting of the S&P 500. Uh, uh, what, what the boys are doing is um, – you know is is the equivalent of uh back in the 19 have you seen that picture when in times square in like 19 uh it was the early 1900s they took a picture and there was one car and thousands of horses and then two years later there was one horse and buggy, <laughs> and you know hundreds of cars, and this happens quickly. And how many people? So here's a funny story. I, I bet you haven't even shared this with my with my guys in in uh, in, in Central America. So my family, Foss, uh, brought the first automobile to Canada. Okay, he developed wow. Canada's first automobile. Okay, and Henry Ford reached out to my great great uncle and said I think your design of a car is better than the Ford automobile at the time and my uncle said nah this won't catch on automobiles aren't going to catch on this is my family okay we could have been the Ford Motor Company of Canada and my uncle who by the way was a great guy just said no and one of the reasons he didn't um think it would catch on is because the snow in canada they would only plow sidewalks for people to walk on and they left the snow in the uh in the road because you could pull a sled or a you know a sleigh uh uh, with a horse so he couldn't drive his automobile in the road in the wintertime he had to drive it on the sidewalk and people Mm. would get so mad at him think about his short-sightedness though yeah. And I'm OK with it. Right. Like, I mean, talk about something that was right there, right in the Foss family hand. So he only made one. He made one car, <laughs> but at least it was the first one ever in Canada. Yeah. And uh, and it's called the Fossmobile. You can actually look it up on the uh, on uh, on the Internet. There's lots of really cool Pictures and I'm actually involved in a fundraising, or not fundraising. I'm helping to fund a project where they're putting it back together to celebrate his um, his uh, invention. So it was in Sherbrooke, Quebec. It's that's very close to the uh, border of uh, New Hampshire and Maine uh, in, in in southern Quebec, and uh, it's real life. Like sometimes you can be so close, right? Yeah, and then you yeah. just miss yeah. it. You miss it because you say, I, "I don't feel like driving my 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 car on a sidewalk." So,
0: well, so yeah no I mean that's a great that's a great Patrick, story yeah yeah
1: Jose could, could I just jump in here quickly absolutely yeah I, I want to comment on something Greg touched on um, Greg do you realize how fast Western Union could fail if you if active money managers actually um, bought your thesis because here's the thing, because of this huge, um, you know, weighted funds that we have now, uh, let's say they do rebalancing all the time, right? So, um, and normally, if you're moving one, two, three percent, who cares, right? But if the if sufficient active managers, short Western Union, driving the price down, and then. The active, the passive managers have to readjust their positions, meaning selling off more Western Union, which will further, you know, that that is a spiral. That is a death spiral for these companies.
0: Well, I guess the the question, though, really comes down to how much of the remittance business are they going to have to lose to notice that is El Salvador alone? a big enough market for them to notice. And so there's a couple of correlated questions. That's number one. Number two, if if you have active fund managers that are going to short a company like Western Union or MoneyGram or whatever, uh, there's that that would almost be a tacit approval of Bitcoin and Lightning. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they just see it as a business decision, but they would have to understand the business model or what, what Bitcoin is doing. And then I think number three, Greg, um, you know, and I think all entrepreneurs, I know I face this, when you're trying to break into a market, the bigger guys, especially multinational companies, they, and the VCR is the perfect example. You know, when the VCR first came out, it had record, stop, play, rewind, that's it. And then, you know, 10 or 15 years later, you've got multifunction buttons that no one knows how to use because they they keep incrementally improving with functions that nobody cares about, and they leave the lower end of the market disrupted or um, a prime for disruption. So, will Visa, will Mastercard notice this? And by the time they notice it, is it going to be too late?
4: That's a so, Jose. Hats off to you, firstly, on that um, uh, observation. Uh, the, the truth is, yeah, financial markets sometimes end. Prophecy, right? Uh, selling begets selling. That's uh, humans are very bad risk managers. Uh, they they tend to hold their losers and then sell their winners to to crystallize a capital gain. Uh, When in fact, you should do the opposite, right? You should always sell your losers and add to your winners. Um, So what what happens is in it, so addressing uh, Jose's um, uh, scenario. Yes, exactly. Uh, You know, if you look at Western Union stock performance over the last five years, it's done zero. So it Mm -hmm. has already vastly underperformed the average equity. Uh, That's not a good thing but people still own it, uh, because it pays a small dividend. But what happens when the, the price gets, uh, have let's say selling brings out more sellers that's another adage that you have to understand in the uh, financial market so while buying brings out buyers or higher prices brings out buyers lower prices bring out sellers and so jose i think you know you said the same thing uh you 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 implied something what i, I would take it to, to to your philosophical uh question, Patrick, and it's not philosophical, it's very true, but it's 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 less I can put a trading uh experience on it. The the end of the day, the amount of change that's gonna happen in the next 10 years. I'm borrowing my buddy Jeff Booth's, uh, another statement from Jeff Booth. There will be 100 years of change in the next 10 years from the technology the technological side, from the, uh, in the innovation side. And a lot of that innovation, you, you may say, oh, it's just more buttons on the VCR. I, I though think that the change that is coming in Bitcoin, which is so exciting is, the difference between a base layer or the on-chain versus layer two, and then the really exciting stuff, which is layer three and what can be built on top of the lightning network. Uh, And I'm not technologically inclined. Okay. I, I honestly, I can only ask the guys at Ibex Mercado what they think, uh, but I see it in action. There is going to be a call it a test net for applications that survive on a More centralized blockchain, no names out there, but over time, the most successful applications which survive on a centralized blockchain, in my opinion, are going to migrate to the most pure decentralized and strongest network ever, which is called the Bitcoin blockchain. So there's going to be growth uh, in in new innovation, and then there's going to be stuff that migrates to the Bitcoin blockchain just because it's the superior uh, solution, the superior network, superior security, everything that you seek out in a decentralized uh, platform. So um, long-winded answer about saying I don't know except if I was betting, which I am a betting man, I like to bet on trends that uh, I can see happening very logically. Uh, The trends I see happening is that the existing payment rails are going to be in in for a lot more competition than they uh, desired at a lot lower fee. And -hmm. then the flip side is the adoption of, uh, you know, all these other applications that are out there uh i'll just tell you i'm uh, i'm pretty you know i'm i'm a pretty staunch bitcoin advocate uh why i only can go by network statistics and uh and things that that, that i can put my finger on uh including the fact that it's strong it's the lightning network is growing exceptionally well um And I'm 58 years old and I've seen some of these things happen before. Uh, And you never think they're happening until you look back and you go, how could I have been such a knucklehead? Like, how could I have not seen this happening? So here's another silly little story from Fossism. So I grew up in Canada. There's a company in Canada that was the best uh, technology company in Canada at one point called Research in Motion, right? Research in Motion changed its name to Blackberry. So my pocket trade was, I was long Apple and short Research in Motion, okay. Mm-hmm. Which, as a Canadian, that didn't sit good with me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't do it in my portfolio. I actually only did it in my personal portfolio as well as in my uh, uh, in my head, okay. Because the important thing is, like, and and the hubris that was uh, existent at these two managers for Research in Motion, um, uh, Balsilli and I'd uh, forgotten his partner, but the point was. Nobody will ever give up using their buttons on their phone. We have this, we have this uh, business market uh, surrounded. Two years later, they're done. They're toast. It's over. And one of Canada's most uh, important technological companies trades for, uh, you know, trades for a bag, a bag of hammers right now on the, uh, on the Toronto stock exchange. It's really, really disappointing. And this is what Hubris brings you. So um, that's, you know, Apple, oh, Apple will never be adopted in the business world. That was the mantra of the guys at Research in Motion or BlackBerry, oh boy, sorry guys, that's just a stinker. That's a really, really bad take and it cost a lot of Canadians a lot of money. And uh, yeah, don't uh, don't ever get too smart by a half, never yeah. ever yeah. <laughs> think that you have a, a moat around your technology.
0: Yeah, well said. You know, I'll 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 say something that Jeff Booth has said because I've I he had, that book is great, The Price of Tomorrow. But the um, we miss exponential growth, and I think that for most people who don't understand that Bitcoin's more than a money, if they don't see it as a network, um, yeah, it's going to be difficult for them to to see the growth of of the network. Uh, Jose, what were you going to say?
1: Well, the thing there, and to your point right now, uh, Patrick, is that. Um, people taking the other side of the equation is people don't realize how old the technology our current payment system has. Like, this is really, we're still working with really, really old old technology. I mean, plus 50 years now. Like, some of the uh, uh, banks' databases, at least here in Guatemala, are still in COBOL. So it it makes it really difficult to integrate, right? And what this creates is is a lot of friction. What we're talking about here is friction. And and what do I mean by friction? I mean, uh, places where you have to pay because there is infrastructure. There are people working. You have to somehow uh, pay for these services, right? And so everything pretty much, everything in the world is is now built on SWIFT. And even though, though we don't see it uh, directly, like it's just layers on top of layers, on top of layers. And then you have a bunch of, let's call them side chains, you know, the ACH system, and then you have mm-hmm. the Fedwire system. And then you have, and every country has their own version. So that you, you have a bunch of different... Side chains. If you want to use the uh, crypto parlance, and then you have a bunch of layers, so everything is pointing to everything else, and so what this creates is this creates a lot of intermediation, and this makes the system very slow. People think payments are fast; they're not. Yeah, they're really not. If if you're in the money transfer business, you, you really you start to notice. How much of a pain it is to run it? Just run it. And so, uh, what happens in 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 Bitcoin and in Lightning is that a lot of this just gets automated away.
0: That's awesome. Like, I mean, that's yeah. The uh. I, Go. Ahead. I'm sorry, Jose. I, you know, the the pain of of paying um, money overseas or something like that, and sending a wire. It it's it's hard to emphasize. Most people don't have that experience. But as an entrepreneur, you know, having to buy um, equipment and supplies from China, sending wires, it, it's a painful process. Painful process. And uh, okay. Patrick,
4: sorry, can I add something just uh, on on Jose's thing? And it's not just in. Uh, in um, Central America, Jose, that you have these uh, antiquated bank systems. I'll I'll share a story where a senior executive that I used to work with at one of Canada's largest banks called me up. He's gone down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And his argument for going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole is because he goes, you have no idea how antiquated the technology is, as well as the mainframe infrastructure Mm. at the uh, uh, the Canadian um, banks. Okay, this is Canada. He goes, there's a chance that six or less people within a bank actually understand all the layers that are built in the IBM uh, mainframe that the, that. that that the whole thing runs on. And one of the biggest dangers is one of the guys dies, right? Can yeah. you imagine having all your operations at risk uh, on a personnel basis? Uh, because, you know, the guy just got old and he retired from the business. So yeah. this is a reality. Uh, don't, uh, you know, his exact expression was it's held together by masking tape and bailing wire. And that's Canada. Um, I'm not yeah. happy about that, but that is a, a
0: fact. Yeah.
3: One. Yeah, and to add to the to the practical side of this, we run a brokerage, a Bitcoin brokerage service. So we purchase Bitcoin in behalf behalf of our customers, and we sell Bitcoin on behalf of our customers. Most of our business is uh, buying Bitcoin for them. So we do a lot more Bitcoin transactions than bank transactions. And even though most we are weighted around maybe 85% on the buy side, we take twice as long to process all the banking transactions yeah. daily. And this is on the practical day-to-day business operation side. And I would really like to throw something out here. Uh, now that I can finally get to talk a little bit with Greg, I've been having an idea and Maybe Patrick, you can add to it. Uh, I've been thinking about how you price the market, and if Bitcoin really gets uh, the adoption we think it will get in the next eighteen to twenty-four months, a lot of uh, the economy or the financial markets will be will be repriced. Will be need will need to be repriced in Bitcoin, right? And. What I was thinking on is that the best uh, investment you can do right now is first just holding Bitcoin and saving for the long run, but also finding Bitcoin generating businesses and investing in that and weighting your portfolio towards Bitcoin generating businesses. I don't know if you can
4: hundred percent. So I just uh, will tell you uh, publicly now, uh, well, look, I want to make an investment in Ibex Mercado uh, and Jose and I have talked about that. Uh, That's because I just view uh, your logic, uh, Juan, but you always invest in people, not just the concept. So there'll, there'll always be a, uh, there'll be winners and losers, but the trend is definitely uh, to, to, to expand the, uh, your exposure to Bitcoin to mitigate some of the risk, but also to drive exponential growth. There will certainly be some Bitcoin companies that perform better than Bitcoin, but for the general person, get your Bitcoin exposure first. That is your insurance policy. Taking it one step further, though, in Canada here, I'm involved with an energy company that's doing uh, some serious Bitcoin mining uh, and providing uh, off takers and Bitcoin miners is uh, uh, the opportunity to uh, use Canada's natural resources as uh, as their energy. Uh, so all of this is good. The total reality is what you describe, Juan, is, yeah, it's the Bitcoin standard coming to uh, fruition mm-hmm. It, we really are. We're so early, and um, I do know guys, honestly, that of my old in my old uh, circles that are absolutely striving to get exposure to other Bitcoin-related companies uh, because it just it, it can enhance the, uh, the 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 return. One final thing, and then I'll let turn the floor over to to Patrick. Listeners, if you own zero Bitcoin, you are taking an extreme amount of risk relative to having a proper portfolio allocation. So get your portfolio allocation of Bitcoin, and then of that portfolio allocation, maybe take one tenth of an additional, uh, uh, talking numbers here, you get 10% of Bitcoin exposure, then take a further 1% and invest in Bitcoin related companies like Ibex, Mercado, That 11% total exposure in your portfolio should treat you very well over time. That's called an insurance policy. But don't do the flip side. Don't do 1% in Bitcoin and 10% in Bitcoin-related companies because you're going to have an awful lot of companies that just don't make it. It's just that's the way it's going to happen. There will be winners. And those people that are first movers like Ibex Mercado, Uh, I think will be the long-term winners, but you just never know, right? So the one thing you do is you put your money in the insurance policy, that's called Bitcoin. If you own zero, Doc in Marietta, Georgia, I know you've uh, orange-pilled a lot of people, but at the end of the day, we have a ton of work left to do. because way too many people still believe the Steve Hankies of the world, right? And that is the absolute criminal uh, uh, reality that uh, they still carry weight, and they are influencing people not to get their insurance policy. That is absolute balderdash. You need insurance and you buy insurance when insurance is cheap. And it's my opinion that Bitcoin is extremely cheap right now.
0: Yeah, well said. Balderdash is a great Canadian word. That's That's awesome. Um, you know, I really want to spend some time talking about Bitcoin Lake. Um, but, you know, real quick, if we could just get a a real quick survey of, you know, major hurdles. were there any major hurdles? Are you still facing hurdles with what's going on in El Salvador or, and, or just answer the question on a scale from, or maybe a, a grading scale, ABC, you know, D and F. I mean, are you guys happy with what's happened in El Salvador today?
1: I would give it uh, a C, C minus, you know, it's a passing grade nothing to be happy about right uh passing because it's getting adopted it's getting used <coughs> just uh, there have been issues and most of the those issues have been uh have been made uh, uh, you know they're not intrinsic to Bitcoin. Uh, the issue was trying to layer uh, so many services on top of just accepting Bitcoin I think at least from the government wallet side the, I think they tried to do too much mm. instead of just you know keeping it more simple and then starting to layer all of the other services on top of it. I know why they did it and I understand it. Uh, however, you know 90 days for development, of a solution of basically a, uh, a bank solution is it, it's too tough. It's too yeah. tough. I would have liked to see them just concentrate more on just getting something that worked and then start to build out their other
0: services. Dude, dude, um, and I think the last time Mario, you and I talked, I, I was basically making the argument that, Really, how could this fail? And I guess you and I concluded that the way it could fail is that it would not be the domino effect and other countries would adopt, but it seems like we have a passing grade on that. We, we've not done any harm with Bitcoin adoption with other countries based on the El Salvador experiment. Is that is that a fair statement? There's been no harm?
2: So uh, the way I would say it is, yeah, there's been no harm. Uh, but again, it's only been about let's say three and a half weeks, four weeks since the launch. Mm-hmm. This is not a. I mean, the, the Bitcoin effect is not something that's going to happen in three weeks. It, 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 especially in El Salvador, we have to look at the long term play. As As Jose has said before, it's being adopted. People are experimenting with it. People are buying. They're 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 buying their food. They're they're um getting their cash out of the ATMs. They're, they're they're experimenting with the whole thing. So the the best way to, to look at this is if in the next six months people are still using it, uh, we are getting remittances from from the outside and and yeah using I mean and maybe there are other options that are you know better than the government options or or even if it, it maybe even Chivo is successful. I, I think that'll be the test that Bitcoin is still available six months from now within the El Salvador economy. I'm willing to bet that it will, uh, but but we still have to see how, how that's going to play out.
0: But but not the the experiment has worked to the extent that it didn't blow up. There aren't other countries that saying, well, look, this didn't work other than the hankies of the world. Um, you don't have other Central American countries saying there's no way we're going to do this. I mean, you still have the momentum there we- to-
1: we see, actually, Patrick, sorry to interrupt you. No, you're We fine. see the opposite. We see the opposite. We, we know, not a liberty to say this, but we know of one other Central American country that has uh, uh, drafted their Bitcoin law, and they're going to pass it in the near
0: future. Does the country start with a G? No. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Well, okay. can, can <laughs> that come through, Mark, or deny?
4: Does the okay. country start with a C? Can it be Canada? Please, come on. Uh, Central uh, American uh, called Canada.
3: Uh, 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 I want to yeah. add something, Patrick. Yeah, yeah want uh, add, add something to this discussion. I feel that right now, and Mario can attest to this, there were some very forward-looking companies that decided, okay, we're going to go all in. They hired us, (laughs) and they're accepting payments. And I've tweeted out several times, Bitcoin just works, Lightning just works. And it's thanks to the decade plus of work that's been done on Bitcoin and the four plus years of work that's been done on the Lightning Network. There are thousands of the brightest minds in the world working on bitcoin and this is why it works it's a you cannot see them but i feel every day and this is why i like to join the podcast because every time i sit down with someone like greg foss that i didn't know personally i know that i'm working with him every time i listen to mm-hmm. a podcast with stefan liveira i know i'm working with those very guys cool. yeah metaphorically right beside me. I love to read Bergigi and some other guys. And I think that this will snowball. Now, the government is the big, big uh, boulder that's uh, in the way of making this work. But we're cracking at it. And there's been a lot of private enterprise. And this will work because the private businesses are pitching in. And are working towards the same goal. And this is Bitcoin adoption. And we saw the guys of OpenNode, they're doing great work in El Salvador, even though they don't even have an office there yet. We saw the guys at BitRefill. I think the guys at BitRefill did more customer service for the Chivo guys than the mm. government itself. So wow. right now that Bitcoin is, uh, let's say the cat is out of the bag, there's nothing the government can do to stop the adoption, uh, uh, this is, uh, well, they, they can do stuff, but it won't work. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I'm very negative about what the capabilities of a government-run operation is. This, and this Patrick, is what I'm at.
4: well said, Jose and our, uh, Juan, sorry. And I, 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 I believe I'm working with you guys as well. Think of it, though, you're a company like Starbucks, And now you're seeing it's working in a jurisdiction, you know, doesn't matter if it's Central America, you're seeing it work. And, and Starbucks is a global uh, enterprise. So it works somewhere. It's very easy to scale out. And and even if the country doesn't adopt it, imagine if the merchant adopts it because it's actually a better way of doing business. So I'll take it. I don't have any Irish pubs in El Salvador, but I'll tell you if it was working in El Salvador and I could bring it back to, to Canada pretty easily. Damn, I would do that, right? I mean, yeah, right there.
0: Well, that you're you're I mean, one to two percent. Well, I'm sorry, Jose, but the 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 fees, the merchant fees. Uh, you know, you think about your 15 pubs in um, uh, Quebec or Montreal. You know, for a global company like Starbucks, that's that's serious money. Um, so that definitely makes sense, yeah. Jose. I'm go ahead, Jose, but I do want to. I want to uh, corral us into Bitcoin Lake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, awesome. Uh, just one last thing to because I want to do uh, a shout out to Oshi App, which is a cashback company that's U.S. based, and uh, we got we were in talks with them, and they're doing some work in El Salvador, and uh, we're gonna bring our uh, Bitcoin infrastructure to them in El Salvador. But in the future we're also going to bring it to them in the us and pretty soon you're gonna see this spreading in the us and canada markets it's it's gonna happen quickly it's a it's a couple of months out that's that's, that's fantastic
0: all. that's fantastic okay well, let's talk about bitcoin lake i i before the we started recording i was kind of telling you guys, Mario's heard the story before, but how I got involved with Pana, Pana Hachel there in Guatemala. Um, I took my family there on missions trips uh, for about six years in a row. So we have some very personal connections there in Pana, Uh, you know, when I first heard Greg on a podcast mention, you know, this Bitcoin Lake thing, and and you guys had approached him at Bitcoin 2021, my my ears perked up, and you know, I, I have a real heart for seeing some something like this happen. So I'm going to open the discussion up generally, but I, I guess what I want to throw out there is number one: do do you do we feel like do you feel like a Bitcoin Lake is needed? like a Bitcoin beach was need, I guess, needed in El Salvador? Is that going to help with Guatemalan adoption? Will it help with them seeing the the reality of what lightning can do and what Bitcoin can do? And the what is the political appetite or the uh, yeah, I guess the political appetite or what the political winds looking like in Guatemala for Bitcoin adoption? So maybe let's just kind of throw it out there for right now.
3: I'm going to start it out, and I'm just going to say, I think the most enduring type of Bitcoin adoption is the bottom-up Bitcoin adoption. And I think a Bitcoin beach-like thing uh, or community adoption road is needed in every country, not just uh, in Salvador. We're really excited uh, to Back any Bitcoin lake project here, we had a, we were in talks and we think that what is needed here is people from the community that are willing to do what the guys at Bitcoin beach did and my respect to them. I always uh, I'm I admire them a lot because the work they did was uh, truly, truly impactful and enduring. And that's uh, the thing that we are missing here is having, the people that live there and can do the work that the guys at Bitcoin Beach did.
2: Mario, did you? I I, I think I, I agree. I agree with, with with Juan. And again, we want to contribute with uh, communities out there that want to you know uh, build their own uh, adoption uh, plan, and and and. What I was thinking, and I've been been being uh, very public about this, is we need to build some sort of uh, Bitcoin adopting plan and just push it forward so that anyone can adopt it. Bitcoin is open source. So the way we can do this is we can have an open source plan and see what has worked in Bitcoin Beach and see what has worked. Also, you know, there's a community in in Italy called Rovereto, which also has a lot of uh, Bitcoin adoption. There are other places in the world that I'm sure that if we kind of open source a manual and give it give it to people, we're going to see more adoption in in places like Atitlan and maybe maybe in Africa, maybe in India, and maybe in another a lot of other communities. And I love the idea that you you um, you Patrick have come down to Guatemala and and want to help out with this because I also think. It, it kind of gives the feeling when when someone from the outside comes into your country and and they they bring this type of technology, they, it kind of brings the feeling that you're bringing uh, value into into our communities. Uh, it's not the same that is as as if we wanted to go to Panajachel and just launch this ourselves. That's one part of it. Another part is the international community, and the other part, which Juan Pablo. Uh, mentioned it earlier is you need the community support and you need a community leader to actually adopt it mm-hmm. and to push it forward.
0: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. You know, the Maro, you and I were talking before. You know, Panachel is a just a really eclectic city. It has a lot of international visitors. That a lot of young people also that backpack through there. Um, I think it would be. And you know, I started a Bitcoin Lake Twitter account, and there seems to be a lot of interest that. You know the the I think the Twitter community would love to get behind a gra- a grassroots initiative there in Guatemala and be a part of something um, like Bitcoin Beach. Uh, Bitcoin Beach kind of snuck up on everybody and it was great, uh, but I think a lot of people in, in the Twitter realm would love to be involved in something like Bitcoin Lake. Yeah. Um, to, from Patrick, a yeah, Jose
1: to to let you know a little bit of of uh, what we've been doing because we're closely aligned uh, or closely involved in in that idea of making that happen, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is uh, right now we're really scarce on manpower. Yeah. (laughs) But that being said, one of our team members is going to be going to to Lake Atitlan this weekend, I believe. And, um, We're going to start finding out which merchants we should talk with to get them to use EVEX Pay. This is the beautiful thing about what we did in a sidewalk because the idea to get people to use Bitcoin, let's say as a payment service and that type of stuff, um, you really need to be able to spend it somewhere, right? And we need to know where those places are going to be because the idea is that we're going to be giving, uh, we're going to be paying in Bitcoin for people to clean up the lake. So basically kind of a pay for a pound of trash, right?
0: That's fantastic, yeah.
1: Type type program. Um, That's the idea. But then we need to have the other side of the equation, which is, okay, now I have Bitcoin. I picked up all this trash. Um, Where can I spend it? And we need to reach out to the correct merchants. Not necessarily every merchant is gonna be the correct merchant, but the correct merchants, uh, where the people that are gonna be doing this work are are gonna be spending. Uh the merchants also have to have a bank account so that we can work with them, uh, and set up, you know, a Bitcoin pay. So so they're actually gonna be getting paid in Quetzales, they're going to be using the Bitcoin network uh, for everything. But the idea is eventually, you know, they they will see it as an easier way to handle their funds, uh, maybe get remittances, remittances and that type of stuff.
0: So so Dude. that's
1: kind of like where we're at right now.
0: OK, OK, that's that's great. Um. W- Do do you see a plan? I mean, to answer that question, I mean, it seems like it would be obvious that the, you know, the supermercado and the uh, different eateries, the uh, polo chicken play uh, I can't remember the name of the brand, but things like that would definitely be um, merchants that should be um, approached. And, you know, as far as transportation, um, uh, most people aren't aware, but tuk tuks or auto rickshaws, uh, you know, maybe getting those on board uh, so that people can travel within um, the city, uh, Pana Echel and, and up to Solala. Um, but the. Uh, as far as what you're what you've seen in El Salvador and potentially translating to Pana, I mean, are you seeing that when people have the Bitcoin or the satoshis? Are they saving it? Are they converted into U.S. dollars? I mean, what, what? I know it's been kind of a short experience, but are they keeping what they what they get within Bitcoin? And would you expect the same thing in a like a Bitcoin Lake experiment, so to speak?
1: Well, right now, what we see, and I uh, said because uh, like we got these this question on Twitter as well. Uh, we see mostly merchants are not keeping Bitcoin. There's a few that, that are doing it, but not at scale, you know, not enough. Um, but uh, what we see is that it, in El Salvador, at least, the availability of Bitcoin as legal tender has spiked interest in the individuals to start to save in Bitcoin. Well, we believe um companies are always more conservative in this regard and we do believe that they're gonna start, you know, directing some of the Bitcoin to to their savings, um to their treasury, but it's gonna take a little bit of more time, I believe. Uh the volatility is still too, too high for yeah. them to manage.
0: And I think you and we were talking about this before. It's it's kind of hard for a supplier to pay somebody else in Bitcoin. Um, the suppliers are going to want to play pay their sub suppliers in in dollars. That that makes total sense. Um, and another question from Twitter was mining. Are you guys involved in launching mining in El Salvador? Oh, Juan's got Juan wants to answer this one. Uh, mining in El Salvador and or mining in Guatemala
3: this is in mario's purview i'm just happy that you asked because i know mario is bubbling in the, with excitement about this issue, this uh, subject
2: <laughs> well we are, we are working um in a in in a few projects one in el salvador and one guatemala um energy prices at least in guatemala i think are a good, good fit for for mining and I've been reading a, a lot from, uh, you know, Jason Lowry and how we we need to have some type of mining infrastructure distributed in Central America. I think it's important as a strategic, you know, move for our countries to start doing that. Um, we are doing. We're gonna we're gonna start some mining, and hopefully before the year ends, uh, we're pretty close to to closing a, a, a you know a relatively small size project. But we also want to send some, you know, some containers over to Canada to get hold of the, you know, cheap energy from from whatever Greg is doing. And that's the good thing about, you know, the Bitcoin network and, and mining. We can basically do it anywhere where the incentives kind of work. And we're trying to make that happen here uh, to show that that it is possible to do it in, in Central America.
4: So can that's I gonna... sh- can I share a cool story, Patrick? And then I'm going yeah, to. Of course. Jump. OK, so yeah, of course. I get, I, I get these uh, calls. Uh, this is the greatest thing. So Twitter is such a great uh, platform because people reach out to you. And I, I always like talking to new people. So uh, just this Friday, I got a call from a young man, less than 30, who uh, is working in an industry that's called digesters. Okay. Now I had no idea what these things are, but a digester is basically a place where you take farm waste And that I'm not certain if it actually includes dead animals as well, but it doesn't matter. You take uh, farm waste there and you put it in this digester. And this digester is like a giant uh, compost uh, compost heap that produces methane. And you can you can. capture that methane and and, mm-hmm. and turn a generator and uh, produce electricity. And my first question was, well, okay, how many, uh, you know, kilowatts? And he goes, well, you can get up to a thousand kilowatts or one megawatt or bigger. I'm like, wait a minute, this starts to make sense from the power in- industry that I'm uh, I- exposed to, because then let's say you have five of these digesters and you have a small pipeline system that mm-hmm. puts uh, enough methane to do a one five megawatt generator. Okay, this starts getting exciting for me, okay? yeah, But here's the even more exciting part. These things are either venting methane into the atmosphere, destroying the ozone, or they're flaring it. Much the same as in the natural gas industry, except the gas is produced by uh, decomposing waste, not uh, uh, fossil fuels. So the... the uh, digester, I said, okay, so how many of these digesters are there in Canada? And he gave me this statistic. And I said, how many of them are actually using their electricity to uh, uh, supplement the grid, sell it back to the grid versus how many are just venting it and, and uh, hurting the atmosphere? He f- figures less than 5% are actually being wow. used product productively. And the other 95% of these things are destroying the environment or hurting the environment. They are contributing to the environment, but you never hear about these things, right? Like, you know, the politicians never talk about this. Well, anyway, can you imagine starting a pretty cool little business where you have these digesters where people are bringing farm waste to your, uh, now the farm waste is, uh, you know, is, is everywhere. It's, it's not yeah. just in Canada, right? So that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Off with that little thought process. Okay. Bitcoin can clean the environment, because it can make waste energy productive to consume and generate a revenue stream where it makes sense to build the infrastructure to capture this methane. I don't know about you guys, but as an engineer, I get like, I get, this is sort of, now I understand why I studied engineering over 35 years ago. I'm going to my 35th McGill university engineering reunion this Saturday, this coming Saturday, 35 years ago. I graduated in engineering and I haven't really used much of it except for mathematics in trading, but now I can see this beautiful technology taking shape where we can not just that uh, we can absolutely turn the narrative on the environmentalists and say, guys, look, we're actually using decomposing waste to create yeah, that's gas runs yeah. through a generator and everyone's better off for it. So I got to sign off gentlemen. Uh, God bless you guys in America and South America, okay, or Central America, and uh, from Canada with love, okay. Thanks for having me, and we'll 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 talk to you guys soon. Keep up the great work. Thanks, guys. Take
3: care.
0: That was great. His insights are awesome. I I don't want to keep you guys too much longer either. This has been a great discussion. Uh, I think um, you know. I definitely want to be involved in Bitcoin Lake. I want to be intimately involved and doing whatever I can to the extent that I can get a group of people organized and around this. I want to do it. And, um, so the, I think probably just stay tuned, I guess. I think probably you, the, we need to just talk about behind the scenes and what we need to do and all that. I know you guys are taxed. Um, but, uh, Yeah, I'm excited about that.
1: Yeah, but it's a very dear and near project to our heart. If uh, if we can be like on the back end providing infrastructure so that this happens, we absolutely uh, will. Uh, It's still a little bit difficult. Like I said, one of our team members is going to be going this weekend. but it's slow moving. If we can get some people in that are willing to take and carry that torch and we will help with everything else, you know, tech wise, uh, infrastructure wise, we will, uh, we just need to see who steps up.
0: Awesome. All right. Go ahead, Mario. I'm sorry.
2: I, I also want to add something, Patrick, uh, if you need any help with Bitcoin for churches, we can also, uh, Try to 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 help you. We can talk about this behind the scenes, but yeah, we can also give you some help on how you can we can we we can participate with you and and get that happening. I think that'll be awesome as well.
0: Uh, I appreciate that. You know that that was born out of, you know, thinking about a a group of people that would be easy to convert to Bitcoin to help with mass adoption. Um, That's why it came to me. So I appreciate that and. Um, that's great. Um, from, a from a node perspective, would you guys run a node for, uh, Lake Bitcoin Bitcoin Lake? Would you, would you, would you, could you guys be responsible for managing? A- so there's, there've been people that have kind of wanted to donate, uh, to the project. So, um, I mean, running a node is not a big deal, but we have to have a trusted person to do it i mean would you guys be open to running a node for the bitcoin lake project so people could just donate um to the node absolutely absolutely. Great. well great uh i guess uh yeah i'll noodle on that more and i guess we're gonna be talking more <laughs> in the future so
2: yeah. that's good and next
3: week we'll probably yeah. have more info because we had already had conversations with a couple of people that live in the lake and one of them was on board then he got cold feet he he saw some other community leaders being very negative about the prospects and he got scared for himself and his family yeah so we're, we're still working on this and maybe do it in another community instead of this
0: one and mario i guess that's what you were talking about that was not in pana correct okay Jose did you want to say something?
1: Just to Juan's point a lot of this um happened and there's a there's a fear because of Bitcoin's volatility but if we can somehow uh you know take that risk away I think uh we're gonna be seeing uh, this adoption spike up and it, yeah. and you know we're gonna bring going. Of uh, these people that are already interested in working with Bitcoin, but are kind of on the sidelines.
0: Well, I think that the way I thought about it, we our connections are with the school there and bringing this in as a technology that the students are learning about. I mean, the educational system in Guatemala is not that great. So the to be able to bring in something like this, that you know, when the kids are in high school and you know. They don't really have many options uh, after they graduate. So bringing in, you know, teaching them about lightning, teaching them how to set up a node in a school environment, and getting the kids excited, um, and picking up trash on uh, on the lake, uh, and earn satoshis. I think follow the model of Bitcoin Beach is probably the way to to gain traction. And and a lot of kids are taking the the tuk tuks to school. So. You can kind of create a mini circular economy just with the, the school kids and and the the tuk tuk. So, uh, I think we have a plan. We'll we'll, we'll work it out. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic, absolutely. guys! Thanks so much. Thanks so much. You guys have a good day. Thank you, you too, Patrick. Patrick.
3: You took Patrick. Okay. There. Nice meeting okay. you.
0: Okay. Likewise. Bye. Bye-bye. Nice meeting you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you would leave a review, that would be fantastic as well. Peace.